Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much and welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that. I hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We have another fine show lined up for us. And once again, I will repeat for anybody who hasn't heard it before, the fact that Growing Your Wealth is a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast, search Ryan Evans, Growing Your Wealth, and you'll find any number of different shows there. We've got hundreds of shows, so certainly there's one that applies to you. And of course, if you've missed any part of our show, it'll be up there in a matter of hours from now. So just keep checking back for it. Brian, I know that one of the things that you like to do to educate the public out there is go do speaking engagements. And you had one just recently that was rather interesting in which you covered a lot of topics. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to talk about those topics today. Yeah, I was invited to speak at a business expo and it was attended by a lot of business owners, higher net worth individuals, etc. And was able to talk about a lot of topics. I had an hour and surprisingly, I got through the topics. I thought, well, <laughs> this show is an hour. Maybe I could kind of yeah. do that speech over again here during this show. Sure. Well, this was an interesting topic. Uh, basically, the title of it was Tax Advantaged Investment Strategies. So let's go with the first one. And that's all about Roths and Roth conversions. What did you talk about there? Yeah, the first thing I talked about was the advantage to the Roth. And the way I spell it out typically is just in my own experience. When I started public accounting, I'm going to date myself. I think the Dow Jones was, I don't know, about a 1,000. Mm-hmm. And now it's 30,000. Okay, well, wouldn't it have been nice if I had a Roth back then available to me and I'd put maybe some money in my 401k into the Roth instead of the regular one? If I put it in the regular one, though, I got a deduction. Mm-hmm. And I was at the 15% bracket back then. So I would have got 150 bucks back for $1,000. With the Roth, I wouldn't have got the $150. However, if that investment went from 1000 to 30000 which the Dow did during that time period, I could now sell my $30,000 and not pay any tax. Instead, I've got $29,000 of ordinary income. And let's say I'm at the 35% bracket. So you can tell, you know, that's a big ticket item as far as a percentage of tax. It's, you know, a lot of tax there in exchange for the $150 way back when. I wish I had the Roth available to me. So my point there was if you're younger and you're putting money into a plan, try and pick the Roth option on your 401k if you have it or 403b or whatever. But definitely put money in your Roth instead of your, your regular IRA and get that deduction now. And the Roth is uh, one of those vehicles that has come around, uh, maybe I'm not going to say in recent years because it's been around for a while, but really that was the reason for the Roths is to have all of those tax advantages. Yeah. And one of the things that has changed though is 
for many years, uh, 401k plans didn't offer the Roth you know, advantage uh, as an option. Now most of them do. And so those of us that work can now have access to the Roth. It used to be you could only put in, you know, 2000 a year. And it was kind of like, well, why bother? But now, you know, you can put your whole 401k plan contributions into it for a given year. So now it, it, it really can be substantial. So, Brian, let's talk about Roths and managing your marginal income tax rates. Yeah. Uh, so what I just talked about was the contribution part when you're working. Now, the next step is, well, maybe I'm not working, but I want to do that thing called a Roth conversion. What about that? Well, if you do a Roth conversion, you can take some money out of your IRA and put it into the Roth. You're going to have to pay taxes on it, though. But whatever it earns from going forward will be tax-free. Who would do this and why would you do it? Well, you do it in a year where your income tax brackets are low. And so when we talk about the marginal income tax planning around that, let's say that you just retired, you don't really have any income, you haven't started Social Security or annuities. Well, you might have you know up to $100,000 of income you could take on and not pay more than 12% on any of it. So that would be a great time to do a Roth conversion. Move 100000 out of your IRA into your Roth, pay the 12000 or less in tax, and never pay tax on that again going forward because you might be in a higher bracket in future years once you turn on Social Security and pensions or annuities or whatever. So you might as well take advantage of it in your lower bracket year. Brian, you've mentioned the term level loading before on this radio program, and it really applies to moving income from one period of time or one year to another. Is that what you mean by income tax rate management. Yeah, that that is it. And because tax planning is not a one-year thing typically. It's a multi-year thing. Mm-hmm. Income tax planning relates to, uh, okay, I've got a certain amount of income I'm going to take in over a certain period of time. How do I spread that out? How do I level load that so that I can maximize the lowest brackets and not get drilled one year when I load up in one year and have a whole bunch of it at the highest brackets? I don't want that. I want to spread it out. A lot of people ask me, how do I get out of paying taxes? I'm like, well, uh, get poor, I guess, you know, don't make any money. But that's terrible. You know, that's the goal is not for my clients or myself to not pay any income tax. My goal is to pay the least amount I can pay over a period of time knowing I'm going to make money. And I just don't want to, again, I just don't want to load it up in the highest brackets. So the Roth conversion idea is a way of level loading, moving it from a future year when you might have more taxable income into the current year when you might have less because you just retired or for whatever reason. So doing multi-year tax planning is a way to take advantage of marginal income tax brackets. And Brian, it occurs to me that because you're a CPA and a financial advisor, you certainly have a great working knowledge of tax rate management, but really most financial advisors do not really approach financial advising the way you do from a CPA standpoint, or do they? Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're a financial advisor listening to this, you say, well, I know about that. I know that makes sense. Or maybe you're just an investor and you go, yeah, I've heard of that. I I understand that. But maybe you don't have the wherewithal to be running the estimates. And so if I'm working at a regular financial advisory firm, I may not have a CPA that I can say, you know, hey, run these calculations. Let's do some what-if scenarios. Tell me how much of a conversion or how much I hold back as boot on my Delaware Statutory Trust 1031 exchange or et cetera, et cetera. Running all these what-ifs on how to minimize taxes and maximize the marginal rates. So I have that. All my advisors have that. Any advisor at Madrona Financial can say, all right, let's take a look at this. And they're going to email, you know, send an email to one of our CPA staff. We have many on on staff and say, hey, let's run these calculations for them so we can get them the, the number they need. So I think that might be the difference. You might have the understanding of it, but you don't necessarily know how to put it into to plan and get the right number. So that's something we can certainly help with. 
Brian, I think there are some people listening to this who may say, well, I've got a CPA working on things for me or a financial advisor with a CPA. Does Madrona Financial and CPAs work with other CPAs? Absolutely. We do that all the time. We're not looking to pull you from your CPA. Uh, Your CPA is working hard for you for years. You have a relationship. They know your situation. That's great. The fact is that we can work with them, though, and we understand the things they understand. They can run those calculations. They can be involved in the the planning. Your CPA doesn't have access to the, the product that we do to implement the plan. So together with their planning and advice and calculations and so forth with us, we can work together. And the fact that we're CPAs means we can talk about these tax advantage investment strategies that we're talking about today. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about our recent talk that he gave on tax-advantaged investment strategies. Next topic, Brian, that I want to broach here is step-up in basis. Tell us more about what you talked about. Yeah, step-up in basis is not well understood by some people, and so I always want to go over that. It can be a huge planning tool because, I hate to admit it, you have to die to get step-up in basis, so that doesn't help you. But it does help in the planning, knowing we're all mortal and people pass away. And what I talked about was how it works is if you or you and your spouse in a community property state, which Washington is one, Oregon is not, by the way. If one of you passes away, then all of your assets, except for certain ones, all of your assets get a new cost basis, meaning that you paid 100000 for your house, you paid next to nothing for your Microsoft stock, and now they're both worth a million dollars. When you pass away or your spouse passes away, then instead of paying tax on most of that million of gain for each of those assets, the taxes go away permanently. They just are eliminated because your new cost basis is the fair market value on the date of death. So when that's sold, it's sold at its new fair market value. There's no gain. And so that eliminates these gains except from qualified accounts, you know, IRA type accounts except from annuities and except from installment sales. So those three categories do not get a step up, but all of your other assets do get a step up in basis. And so, you know, you you don't want to sell. If you sell, you know, the Microsoft stock or your rental house for a million dollars the day before you die, well, you're going to maybe have a quarter million dollar income tax Mm -hmm. assigned to you. If it's sold the day after you die, there's no income tax bill. So if you have highly appreciated assets and you're getting on in life, you might consider just hanging on to them for the long haul and get that step up in basis. And a real life example of that would be that, let's say your parents bought a house for $100,000. They pass away and the house is worth a million dollars now. If they had given it to you before their death, you would have to pay gains on $900,000. But the basis steps up from 100000 up to a million dollars. That is the step up in basis in a nutshell there. Is there still any talk, uh, do you know, Brian, about the step up in basis going away? I know that it was on the chopping block at one point in time, but I think it's maybe been pushed to the back burner, do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it was It was definitely talk. This administration wanted to get rid of it. They wanted everybody to pay, you know, dead people to pay their fair share, right. I guess you're going to say. Right. You know, and so uh, they wanted it to go away. An accounting nightmare because nobody knows the cost basis of an inherited asset. So, so that's pretty tough to do. But I uh, appreciate your example, too, because you get to let me talk about one other thing is in that case where you said, uh, let's say your parents gifted you the house right. and then passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, now the house is yours. And so there was no passing. There was no step up because the gift 
along with the gift goes the basis. You just gifted that low basis too, and you took right. away the advantage of the step up in basis. We also use this with something we're going to talk about later, the Delaware Statutory Trust. But the step up in basis can be, we're talking big bucks for a lot of people mm-hmm. in your overall legacy planning. Yeah, and that was one of the chapters in one of the books that you wrote was, Grandma, please don't give me your house. I think that dealt with a step up in basis. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Our program, of course, is called Growing Your Wealth. We appreciate you joining us again this week. Uh, loyal listeners of this program know that we have a rooted wealth analysis that you can take advantage of. Actually, anyone listening to the program right now, if you're wondering how deep your financial roots are and you want to find out, simply go to madronafinancial.com. Click on the Get Started button. You'll answer a few brief questions there, then schedule a call with an advisor to find out how deep your financial roots really are. Are they deep enough to withstand a financial storm? Well, you'll find out by going to madronafinancial.com and clicking on the Get Started button. Growing Your Wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion on a recent talk I gave at a business expo. And Brian, in this section, I want to talk about the Credit Shelter Trust. This is an opportunity to add $300,000 or more to your legacy if you pay attention to this segment. So I'll leave it there. Brian, tell us about the Credit Shelter Trust. Yeah, so what I'm talking about here is it may go by three different names. It can be Credit Shelter Trust, uh, maybe you've heard the term AB Trust, or Marital Exemption Trust, or something of that line. So what we're talking about here is, first off, federally, someone can die right now and leave $12 million to their heirs estate tax-free. That applies to a single person or a married couple without these trusts. So $12 million, most people go, well, that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to very many people. But in the state of Washington, the state wants money, estate tax, from someone's estate when they pass away with more than $2.2 million. So that's going to affect a lot more people because, you know, you can own a couple houses or have a retirement account. A lot of people, uh, certainly virtually all the people I end up talking to as their financial advisor have at least $2.2 because that includes everything you own, your principal residence, everything. And so the way it works is let's say that someone's worth $4.4 million, a married couple, and they don't have a properly updated will or living trust. So they don't have these trust provisions in there or they have one and it just wasn't put in for whatever reason. So what happens is one of them will pass away. Their half of their estate, 2.2 million, goes to the surviving spouse. And now the surviving spouse has their 4.4 million. Let's say they pass away and it hasn't changed in value. Well, the first 2.2 million is exempt, but the other 2.2 million you have to pay the state of Washington estate tax on. That's, you know, let's call it 15%. So that's $300,000. Now, if they'd had that lousy paragraph in their will that said, when the first of us dies, half of the estate goes into this trust, the AB trust, credit shelter trust, or marital exemption trust. Then when the first one dies, that $2.2 million goes into the trust and avoids the estate tax, leaving the surviving spouse with their $2.2 million. And when they pass away, there's no tax on it ever either. 
And so they're still the beneficiary of the money that's in the trust. They still get the income and all that stuff, just like they would have if they'd inherited it. But by doing this one little tweak in your will or living trust, you doubled your exemption. So now someone in the state of Washington or a couple in the state of Washington can die with $4.4 million estate tax-free or up to $24 million federally estate tax-free. It's even worse in Oregon. It's everything over a million. And so uh, it's really important there for a lot more people, people between 1 and 2.2 million. So I know it's a little complicated, but basically what I'm saying is make sure that you have a fairly updated will or revocable living trust. And if you have one, take a look at it and make sure you have this trust language that you can read and say, all right, I see what it's talking about, what Brian was talking about. If you don't have it, then maybe we need to talk. You need to get that updated if your state in the state of Washington is over $2.2 million. And Brian, I would think that probably these bargain wills and so forth that you can get online and you can buy them cheaply probably do not include this credit shelter or AV trust, do they? Well, you you probably can, but you may look at it and go, I don't need a trust. I, I don't know what that is. And you just don't collect that box. Or recently, I, I, I was talking to a client, and they said, well, you know, I, we had our will done by an attorney. I said, you're, you're probably fine, but, you know, just in case, mm-hmm. go look at it. And he says, I, I, I did, and I, I didn't see it. I'm like, nah, you probably just didn't. Send it to me. And he sent it to me, and sure enough, it wasn't in there. Wow. I was like, what attorney drafts a will without this in there when their client's worth that much? And I, I got to thinking, it. what it was is the will was maybe 10 years old, and their net worth wasn't that high back then. Right. But in their 50s and and early 60s, the markets went up, the real estate went up, so their will was outdated. And the attorney at the time didn't think that they would hit the threshold. Well, they did. And so we had an issue, so they're getting it uh, updated. And they'll save hundreds of thousands of dollars just because we double-checked. So that's the Credit Shelter Trust or the AB Trust. Uh, Brian, let's talk about something that uh, I've heard about but really don't quite understand, and it is the Opportunity Zone. Yeah, that's something that was passed by Congress, and it's basically 87 areas that were designated by governors years ago that allow for investment into them where that investment can grow income tax-free. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, Mm -hmm. but getting to that is a little tougher. So to invest into a project that's in an opportunity zone, you can only invest capital gains. You can't just write a check. You have to sell something that has a capital gain on it. And so you might say, well, what if I sell some real estate? Well, I'm going to say don't do an opportunity zone. I've got a better idea we're going to talk about later in the show, mm-hmm. the Delaware Statutory Trust for that. But let's say that you sold a business, fine art, collector cars, other kind of something that generated a capital gain that wasn't real estate. Now you have that capital gain. You go, ah, i got to pay all this tax on that. Is there any way out of it? Well, yes and no. So if you put that money into an opportunity zone, any amount, let's say I had a, an asset, uh, a business, I started with nothing, and I sold it for $5 million. Well, you can put anywhere between 100000 and $5 million into this. Let's say you pick $2 million. So that $2 million, it went into opportunity zone investments, which generally are real estate to be built, maybe student housing or self-storage or whatever. And you put that in there, you're still going to pay tax on that $2 million four years from now. However, that new investment will grow income tax-free permanently 
if you hold it for at least 10 years. So not everybody can do an opportunity zone. You got to have a gain. You got to have time on your side. You got to want this new investment and you have to hold it for a while. So it's not for everybody. But for those people that do that, they've got, it's kind of like a super Roth. It's right. a huge Roth that you can create on your own and maybe have a huge gain in something and then never pay any income tax for the rest of your life. And again, Brian, opportunity zones were designated by the governors of all 50 states, including the state of Washington. But it was about 10 years ago, and they designated these areas that they considered to be underutilized or underdeveloped areas, areas that needed an economic boost. But, you know, when they designated them 10 years ago, maybe they needed it. But today, maybe these are booming areas. So opportunity zones aren't necessarily in areas that need an economic boost at this time, but they very well could be. And OZs are certainly not for everybody. So if anybody has questions about that, again, Madrona Financial is the place to get those answered. We're talking with Ryan Evans here of Adrona Financial and CPAs about a recent talk that he gave entitled Tax Advantage Investment Strategies. Next, when Brian, again, deals with real estate, this time the 1031 exchange. Yes, yeah, so back to my other example. Let's say you sold your business for $5 million, but the business had real estate with it. So really, at, at the closing, they bifurcated the sales price, uh, $3 million to the business and $2 million to the real estate. Well, on the $3 million to the business, you can put that uh, any amount up to the, into the Opportunity Zone investment, as I mentioned. What about the $2 million to the real estate? Well, you could do an Opportunity Zone, but I don't recommend that. In this case, I'd do a 1031 exchange. So 1031 exchange means that you can, if you hire a qualified intermediary, you can sell your investment real estate and reinvest it into other real estate. Now, there's essentially two ways you can reinvest this. You can reinvest into property that you found and purchased and financed and will be the landlord or property manager of, or you can invest in passive real estate such as a Delaware Statutory Trust, which we'll talk about in a second. But it's difficult to find properties right now for a lot of people, and maybe they're getting on in age. You sold your business because you didn't want to work at things anymore. You want to get out of real estate direct you know, landlording and property management. You want to get out of your business and just ride in the sunset and enjoy your retirement. But the 1031 exchange defers the gain. Now, you don't have to pay the tax on that gain in four years like you do on Opportunity Zone. And so you can defer it indefinitely and potentially someday get the step up in basis. Nobody will ever pay any income tax on the sale, on the gain on that real estate. And once again, a 1031 exchange, they talk about a like-kind exchange, but really that's sort of a, a broad description, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty broad. Um, you can sell any investment real estate and uh, exchange into any other investment real estate. So qualifying real estate could be a rental house, raw land, a farm, mm-hmm. a winery. You know, it could be apartment building, a, a duplex you rent out. It could be office building, self-storage, a Delaware Statutory Trust, which mm-hmm. invests in apartments or self-storage or grocery store chains or whatever it invests in. And all of these can be exchanged for all of them. Uh, it's just, it doesn't include your principal residence, but it does include all other, essentially all other real estate. And again, you do have to secure a replacement property within 45 days. So keep that in mind with the 1031 exchanges. Let's move on here, Brian. You talked about Delaware statutory trust a little bit. Let's make this natural transition to those. Yeah. And so most of my clients that are selling their real estate are doing it more for because of their age than they don't like real estate. They like real estate, but they're just ready to retire. And so I wrote that article, I'm a landlord, can I ever truly retire? It's on Kiplinger online. You can just uh, find that article. Again, I'm a landlord, can I ever truly retire? Type that in, it'll pop up. 
talking about this, but the situation is like with many of my clients, they're getting on in age and they want to retire from being a landlord. And so the 1031 sounds good until I tell them they have to have a replacement property. And they go, well, I don't want to go find that. And I'm going to secure something in 45 days. I, you know, that doesn't make sense. I said, well, I can make it really easy on you because we can put you into what's called the Delaware Statutory Trust. And you can invest in multiple DSTs and have multiple kinds of real estate from the sale of your property. These are already there. The sponsors have purchased them, financed them, fixed them up if they needed it, put reserves aside, put them in a a 1031-friendly wrapper called a DST, and you can just do the exchange. And you don't have to do anything for the remainder of your days other than uh, cash the checks that they're going to send you on the monthly rents. So it sounds like the benefits would, of course, be first and foremost tax deferral, but also diversification of your investments, your real estate investments there, also cash flow. But why would someone not want to do a Delaware statutory trust? Yeah, if you need the money in a couple of years, you need it to be liquid, well, then sell your property and pay the tax. And then with what's left, there's your liquidity. Some people say, well, gosh, I'm only 45. I'm making lots of money doing real estate. Why would I want to go into this? Well, you wouldn't. Keep doing what you're doing. This is a retirement strategy from real estate, not something uh, active. It's, it's you know passive. You, you, it's for people that don't want to do that anymore. And finally, I've run into people that say, I, I don't know what else I'd do with my time if I wasn't fixing toilets. And so uh, if you're just not ready to sell, well, then we're probably not having that discussion anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm usually having this discussion with people that are ready to sell for a reason. They want to get out of the, the grind of being a landlord or the they want better diversification. They just don't want the, the stress or the risk of their one property, single property. They want to diversify that in another property. So it, it can be a great solution for somebody. Uh, we'll definitely talk about the detriments and benefits with you to make sure that it makes sense before we move forward. And there is a proper order to the 1031 exchange in the Delaware Statutory Trust. And if you do one of those things wrong, you can blow the entire deal. So even if you're thinking about a 1031 exchange into a Delaware Statutory Trust, that is the time to get your consultation or your advice on that before you do anything. You're listening to Brian Evans with Growing Your Wealth. Glad you could join us again this week. Once again, if you are worried about how deep your financial roots are, you want to find out, it is easy to determine how deep those roots are so that you can survive any financial storm. Simply go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button to find out how deep your roots are. It'll only take a couple of minutes, and you could find that your financial roots are maybe not as deep as you thought. Once again, madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30-plus years? Well, stick around. We'll be right back with more Growing Your Wealth. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion from a recent talk I gave at a business expo. That's right, Brian. And the talk was entitled Tax Advantage Investment Strategies. We talked a lot about a lot of different things, Brian. Let's move on to the next one. Passive non-traded REITs or real estate investment trusts. Yeah. One of the things that I was talking about at the the expo there was, you know, it's been a tough year for a lot of investors in 2022. If you look at all the sectors of the S&P 500, including publicly traded REITs, real estate investment trusts, you'll find that every sector's down. Everyone way down, in fact, except for one, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so oil and gas was okay. What else was okay this year? You look at REITs and you go, REITs were terrible. 
They drop just like the market dropped. That's right. But that's not the type of read I'm talking about here. Here I'm talking about private non-traded REITs, which is different than publicly traded REITs. They sound kind of similar. So I'll get into that difference. The first difference is with publicly traded REITs, you can buy and sell them on the stock market. They're liquid. You can buy them on Tuesday and sell them the following Tuesday if you want. So most people think, well, liquidity is good, right? Well, now when it comes to real estate, I don't want liquid real estate. I don't want my partners in my real estate to be able to sell whenever they want. Because if they do, I might have to sell it just to come up with the money to pay them. And I think that's one of the problems that these REITs have is they're good in a good market. But when people are selling like they were in 2022, well, now there might be some distressed sales going on behind the scenes. I'm not sure exactly where they're getting all that money to cash out investors. And so I kind of like the private non-traded REITs. And when you look at the results, my clients that are invested, many of them have done quite well with the private non-traded REITs because they aren't as liquid. And that's a good thing when it comes to real estate, which sounds counterintuitive, I know, but that's the truth. And so the areas, again, getting back to the areas to essentially hide in 2022, Mm -hmm. I look at uh, oil and gas sector. I look at private non-traded equity REITs and debt REITs, and I'll talk about the difference in a second. I look at fixed index annuities that are designed not to lose money or fixed annuities that always make certain amount of money. Brian, you mentioned the difference there between equity and debt REITs. What are the differences? Yeah, an equity REIT, so a private non-traded equity REIT, means that you're investing in the real estate. So the REIT that you're in might own, it could own any kind of real estate or a diverse group of real estate. It could have apartment buildings and rental houses. It could have self-storage, industrial park type things. It could have computer data centers. All kinds of different types of assets are in REITs. You can buy a mobile home park REIT. You can buy retail stores with guaranteed leases. You, you do all kinds of different kinds of REITs. So you can pick what you want to get into or get a diversified REIT. Now, those can go, you know, they're, they're going to pay you your share of the rental income and they can go up in value. They can also go down in value. I've been seeing really good results for years now in that commercial uh, real estate space, but it could reverse. But if you're buying the right kind of real estate, then uh, you're probably pretty pleased with that. Conversely, a debt REIT means you're lending money. So you're lending money and Mm -hmm. taking real estate or other assets as security. And so a debt REIT, you're receiving interest and you're kind of like the bank, essentially. Now, debt REITs tend to have lower growth potential and they tend to have a higher cash flow than most equity REITs, but you don't have as much growth potential in them. So a lot of portfolios might have both in there, uh, both for cash flow and for growth with some cash flow, and not have them in the publicly traded space where they're too liquid to uh, do well in an environment like 2022. Brian, the next topic that you talked about was charitable gifting strategies, those two kind of interesting words, crutch and crat. So let's dive into that. Yeah, with uh, charitable gifting, there are three potential beneficiaries. There can be yourself, there can be your legacy, we'll call it your kids, and then there's the charity. Both of these benefit the charity. So that's one of them. And both of them benefit one other group. The cruts benefit you and your charity. They do not benefit your heirs. So let's say your heirs are doing fine. You don't need to leave them this particular asset. And you have a highly appreciated asset. You want to sell it, but you kind of want the income while you're living. And so you can do that. You can sell that asset, pay no gains on it at the time of sale, and take that income over the rest of your life. And when you pass, the remaining, the remainder, charitable remainder, goes to the charity. 
Conversely, a CRAT is a charitable remainder annuity trust. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're saying, we don't need the income. We don't need the asset. We're going to sell the asset, not pay the tax. The income's going to go to the charity. And when we pass away, whatever principal is remaining with the asset goes to our heirs. Okay, so those are cruts and crats, but also under the headline of charitable gifting, there's also something called donor-advised funds. I mean, you're able to combine a lot of years of donations into a single year, but you can gift it over many years. Uh, Can you give us a few more details beyond that? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk in a future show about the changes in the standard deduction. It's been going up, up, up. But let's say that you're giving, say, $10,000 a year to charity, and you plan on doing that for the next five years. And you go, huh, I do my taxes, and when I put in my charitable deduction, my tax doesn't change. Well, that's probably because you're taking the standard deduction. You don't have enough itemized deductions for it to matter. Uh, And so you're going, wow, I thought these were tax deductible. They are, but they're below the threshold that it does you any good. So you're going, well, is there any way around that? Yeah, you could take five years' worth of those, let's say, in this example, put $50,000 all in one year, a lot of that will get you money back from the IRS, if you have, especially if you have some mortgage interest and so forth, and you itemize your deductions. So you'll get a real tax deduction that gets you a real refund, and you'll put the 50000 into the, the fund and then dole that out over the years to come. So you're, you kind of end up in the same place. You just get more money back from the IRS. So those are crutch, crats, and donor-advised funds, Brian. Let's say that I have some stock and I've uh, realized some pretty good gains on that stock. Could I simply donate the capital gains from the stock? Yeah, you, you sure can. You can donate the stock. So here's an example. So let's say I want to give a um, big round number here, $100,000 to a charity, and I have it, you know, that much money in my bank account. I could write them a check and do that. Or I might be looking at my statement and go, you know, I bought some Microsoft stock when it came out and I paid a buck 95 for it and it's worth 100 grand. If I sell my Microsoft stock to write a check, I'd probably have to sell, I don't know, 125,000 of it to net 100 after taxes. Or I could just give the 100 straight off. Nobody pays any income tax. They still got theirs. I didn't have to write a check, but I didn't have to pay any tax on the gain on my Microsoft. So if you have cash in your bank and you have stock and you plan on giving a big gift, and, you know, highly appreciated stock, give the highly appreciated stock because mm-hmm. you're going to pay tax on that someday. Here's a way to never pay any income tax on it and give the same value to the charity you would have done had you written a check. Sounds like a great strategy there, Brian. What about RMDs? RMDs come due, required minimum distributions. Can I go ahead and donate those? Yeah, let's say that you wanted to give some money to charity and you have these required minimum distributions and basically that's taking money from your left pocket to the right pocket and during that transfer you got to pay tax to the IRS. Well, if you instead give it directly to the charity, then the charity doesn't pay income tax on it and you still have satisfied your required minimum distribution if you give it directly to the charity. So this is a way for someone to say, you know, I could benefit that charity and I was going to give you know, them 30000 but I was going to take an IRA distribution and they'd only net twenty grand after taxes. But now I can give that twenty grand directly and have it go towards my required minimum distribution too. And so that's a way to, again, obtain the, the desired objective, yet not have to pay the IRS a bunch of tax. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. The topic of this show is tax-advantaged investment strategies. And, you know, Brian is a CPA, also a financial advisor. 
advisor. And I think this is a great illustration of why it is so important to work with a CPA and do comprehensive tax planning. It's just one of the seven routes that sustain wealth. If you want to see how deep your tax planning or other routes are, before that next storm hits, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the button that says get started. When you do, you'll fill out some basic information. Then the staff at Madrona Financial will be able to schedule your rooted wealth analysis so you can see what needs to be addressed before the next storm hits. That's madronafinancial.com and click on the get started button. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots. The same goes with your finances. Your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today, tomorrow, and for years to come. If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to finalize our discussion about a recent talk I had at a business expo. And the title of that expo and the title of Brian's talk was Tax Advantage Investment Strategies. Next one, Brian, is Universal Life. I've heard of that, but I really don't have all the details. Fill us in. Yeah, there's basically two kinds of life insurance. One is what you think about when you think of life insurance. If I pay some money to an insurance company, if I die while I have that policy, then they pay my spouse or my estate some money. And so people with, certainly with kids and, and so forth, need to have this kind of stuff in case something happens to them. But that's called a term policy, and it only runs for a period of time, a certain term. And so you might have a, myself, I bought a 20-year term when I had my first kid. Mm-hmm. And so I had a 20-year term policy. Well, at the end of 20 years, that thing's running out. And I'll look back and go, well, I'm glad I had that just in case, but nothing happened. And I spent a lot of money, and I didn't get anything back. So the other kind of insurance is permanent insurance. Part of it is a term life insurance policy, and part of it is an investment. You might be thinking, well, why do I give an insurance company money to invest for me? Why don't I just invest in the market? Well, the reason might be is because permanent insurance policies can offer income tax savings that you can't get any other way. So the IRS tax code allows for death benefits or loans against insurance policies to be income tax free. So life insurance being income tax free, that's a, a, some people call it a loophole, that's a deduction, that's a whatever you want to call it. You know, there's certain things the IRS lets you have gains on and not tax you on. The first $500,000 gain on the sale of your principal residence that you lived in two years. Life insurance proceeds, these are things they've exempted from income tax. So we can use that to our advantage with these permanent life insurance policies called universal life to either create income tax-free proceeds when we pass away or create a cash flow in your retirement that is income tax-free. So Brian, all that sounds great. Who would want a universal life policy? Well, I mean, it's nice to have, but not everybody qualifies. So if you go, hey, I'm 65 and I'd like to get one of those universal life policies, I think, well, the cost of the insurance is gonna be too high on you. Mm Or, I mean, you know, I just, you know, got out of chemo or whatever. I have some health issues. Yeah, they're probably not going to insure you at a proper cost. And so it's not for everybody. 
If you are 65 or 70 or 75, you go, well, why do I care about this? Well, it might be a great gift for your kids or grandkids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could give my kids money and they could spend it however they're going to spend it. Or I could sign them up for a universal life policy and fund it for them and put money into that so that uh, when I'm long gone and they're in their 60s and 70s, they're getting monthly checks from an insurance company, income tax free and remembering dear old dad doing a really nice thing for them providing some income tax-free income in their retirement. That could be a great gift. And so there are there are uses, uh, but again, you have to be young enough and healthy enough to qualify. We're talking with Brian Evans here about his Tax Advantage Investment Strategies talk. Next one, Brian, is Premium Finance Universal Life. Yeah, this is uh, the same thing, however, used in a different way and funded differently. And this is for a very small subset of our population, but I wanted to mention it because you might be one of those people. And really, today's talk, I I hope you got one good idea out of it. If you got to listen to the whole show, if you're driving around, maybe you didn't. But uh, you might want to re-listen to this because if you get one or two good nuggets of information from this, it definitely would be worth your, your hour you invested. But on this one, this is where somebody with a higher net worth can get the bank actually to help them leverage their insurance policy. We like the insurance policies, the fixed index universal life, because first off, when the markets are bad, they don't go down in value. And so they they have some protection there. They have the life insurance component. They have the ability to take the money out income tax-free during your lifetime. Uh, You think, well, that sounds like a good thing. I wish I had more money to put into that. Well, this is a way to do that. The, The IRS has rules that say you have to fund at least the interest on a loan for seven years So in this case, let's say you wanted a very big policy because you want a lot of money out tax-free during your lifetime or uh, to leave your heirs, and you want to leverage that. Well, banks are willing to lend money to buy the insurance policies, Mm. and all you have to do is pay the interest on whatever they put in. Mm. So let's say in this example, we found a bank that would put up $100,000 a year for seven years to fund a $700,000 policy that had a very high death benefit or projected cash flow in your retirement. Again, all you have to do is pay the interest on that for seven years, and you have that policy. And so we can design this. But to to do this, you really have to have at least uh, several million dollars of net worth, and you still have to qualify uh, age-wise and health-wise. And Brian, as you said, everyone doesn't qualify for this. You should have several million dollars of net worth in order to do it. Brian, next topic is pretty interesting. It's sort of looking into the future. Your opinion, where is the stock market going? In other words, when should the Dow hit 50,000 and why? Yeah, I want to talk about this briefly because it was curious. I was at this business expo and there were a lot of people there and a couple other speakers. Now, one worked for a mutual fund company. And basically to him, the world, you had two options to invest. It was stocks and bonds. And I'm thinking to myself, well, or essentially mutual funds, either in the stock market or mutual funds in the bond market. I'm thinking to myself, well, my talk's a little different, and I look at the markets a little differently. You can invest in cash and cash equivalents. Sure, stocks, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds or bonds, fixed annuities, fixed index annuities for safe accumulation, FIAs for lifetime cash flow. You can invest in long-term care. You can invest in what we just talked about, uh, fixed index universal life. You can do premium finance universal life. There's structured notes. Opportunity Zones, Delaware Statutory Trust, Private Non-Traded Equity REITs, Mm -hmm. Private Non-Traded Debt REITs, Interval Funds. There are a lot of different ways to invest. 
So I kind of chuckled to myself because I said, I'm going to be talking about a lot of different stuff and I'm not stuck in just stocks or bonds. But going back to it, what do we think about the stock market? Well, we don't think too many good things about it in 2022. I'm pretty sure about that. But if we go back in time, I wrote this article, When the Dow Should Hit 50,000 and Why, and hint, it's just a math equation, and kind of tongue-in-cheek. But if you take the Dow all the way back to when it was about 1,000, and you just take the average returns of the profits from S&P 500 companies and the growth of those profits, and you put them on a graph, and you chart them out, when I wrote that article, the Dow was about 18,000, and that's about where it should have been. But looking back at that line, it was like, wow, the Dow was rarely near the line, but it's always above it, below it, above it, below it. That line acts like a magnet. So if I just continue drawing that line, you draw it out, and the normal 16 times earnings and the normal growth rate of profits, margins for S&P 500 companies, you draw that line, it would be 50,000 in the year 2030. It is not going to be 50000 exactly in the year 2030. It might be higher, it might be lower. But historically speaking, and I don't have a crystal ball, I don't know what the future is going to be. Mm-hmm. But historically speaking, if companies keep making improvements to their bottom lines and keep making the margins they're making, then that would be a rough estimate of where the market could be in 2030. So it's just a good math problem. All it said was long-term stock market is good. But short term, it can be terrible. It can be great. It's very volatile. We know that about stocks. They're very volatile. A lot of the other things I talked about on this show today, not as volatile, but they may not have the growth potential the stock market has, but they might have more tax benefits. So getting back to the old adage, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Today's show was mostly about keeping more of your returns and maybe lowering that volatility to give you options outside of just the stock market. And if you're just joining us on the program, we've been talking about tax-advantaged investment strategies with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. We talked about Roths and Roth conversions, marginal income tax rate management, step-up in basis, credit shelter, AB trust, real estate in terms of 1031 exchanges, Delaware statutory trust, private non-traded REITs, charitable gifting, universal life policies, premium financed FIULs, and where the stock market is going. A lot of great information in this program. If you missed any part of it, you want to hear it again, you can do that by simply going to wherever you get your podcast and search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. We have, uh, I think, more than 200 shows there right now. There's bound to be one that applies to you. Once again, it is Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. Brian, this has been an enjoyable experience with you today talking about tax advantage investment strategies. What would you say is the big takeaway from this show? Well, the big takeaway is there's a lot of stuff out there and there's very few people on this planet that can understand all of it at a good level. You might have heard about some of this stuff, but I think that understanding it to see if it fits for you is so important critically important both during your lifetime and generationally and to charities and to your kids and your spouse and and you know being a good steward of money if you have a lot of money i think you're supposed to be a good steward of it i mean you are the idea here is to be a better steward of that money not to be uh, a pawn of the irs you know it's 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 to take care of your money Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of techniques out there but they're not well known so we do understand that stuff any of the advisors at our firm has a good understanding of all this stuff help someone uh, call me or, or get me involved or, or one of the other CPA advisors here, Joel or Christy or whoever, can integrate the CPA firm and get the right solutions. So we're going to try and find something that you probably haven't found elsewhere if you look. And so the bottom line is, always I love what we do here and I encourage people to have questions on that to check us out online and maybe come in and get a meeting with one of our advisors. 
And that's why it's so important to work with a CPA who also does comprehensive tax planning. And as you said, there's Madrona Financial, there's Madrona CPAs. Also, many of the advisors at Madrona are also CPAs, so you get the best of both worlds. Brian, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for sharing a little of your time with us. Most importantly, I want to thank all the fine people here of the Puget Sound for listening to us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes. 